0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to HCC at Home. My name is Brian. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, I'm super excited for for today's message. Uh, We're going to start in John chapter 20. So as I'm speaking, if you want to go ahead and turn there, if you've got your Bibles or your phones, whatever is available, um, most of our verses will also be up on the screen for you uh, if that helps out. Um, Thank you guys so much for tuning in last week for Easter. Uh, I was... I loved it. I thought it was awesome, uh, especially getting to take communion. Um, I've heard some different people saying, you know, they use juice and a cracker or coffee and and a piece of bread. Whatever you used, um, I just, I really hope you were blessed. I hope you felt a part of our body, a part of our our community. Um, And even though we were distant and separated, that we did it together. Uh, I heard a lot of people say that was really cool for them to be able to do it uh, together knowing that the rest of their family, the rest of their community church body was doing it at the same time. So, um, and then also thank you for the comments and the questions. Keep those coming during the uh during the this video, um, whether you're on YouTube or Facebook, use the comment section so you can ask questions or make comments and you can even start a discussion in there that's totally fine. we'd love for you to do that and any questions or comments that come in I'll take some time tomorrow like I have been to answer those or respond to the comments and i I really enjoy doing that, so please help me out and put a comment or two in there. Um, But today we're going to be continuing along the lines um, after Easter to the different people that Jesus interacted with uh, after his resurrection. We're going to look at four different people today, and I was telling Bo earlier that Most of my messages center around one key verse or one section of verses. And then I may branch out from there. Today's message is not like that. I am focusing more on the individuals and their stories. And so we're going to take some verses and and sections from different um, books and different chapters to compile them all together to see how Jesus interacted with them and what we can take from it. Uh, Because I believe we're going to find ourselves... In each one of these characters, maybe you find yourself in one of the four, or maybe in a little bit in all four. But I wanted to, I want us to take a minute this morning to be able to connect with some characters from Scripture that Jesus interacted with, and apply it to our lives and see what see what we can do with it. So I'm going to go ahead and pray um, for the message because when I pray, it settles my heart, settles your heart, and prepares us to hear God's word. So if you'll join me in prayer, Father God, thank you so much this morning that. Um, you are present. God, thank you so much that you are present in the lives of our believers, uh, present in the lives of everyone who's listening, um, present in the lives of, of everyone who, who doesn't believe in you, God, that you are near every single person. And God, right now, thank you that you're in control. God, our world feels out of control. Sometimes it feels really big and sometimes pretty scary. Um, but God, you're in control. And we thank you for that. And, and we, um, we accept that. We don't know what tomorrow brings, we don't know what it looks like, but we know that you're in control. And God, if we've said yes to you, we know that that this life isn't the end for us, that there's more uh, to come and it's better to come. And so God, this morning, help to settle our spirits, help to settle our minds. God, I, I, I pray against worry, I pray against fear in the name of Jesus, that that was, would be cast aside this morning so that we can hear your word, that we can hear a simple message, um, but that you're gonna do profound things with it because that's what you do. And so God, I ask that you take these simple words and turn it into a meaningful message. Uh, and God, that you would um, anoint what I have to say, God, that you've given me to say. And may it be impactful and insightful. And God, this morning, give uh, everyone who's listening, give myself uh, ears to hear, hearts that are ready to be molded, and feet that are ready to move to action. And God, as always, anything that I say that's for me and my imagination, let it be forgotten before anyone turns off their computer or their phone this morning. And God, everything that's from you, let it stick forever and ever and ever. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This morning, we're going to start uh, with our appearances message, talking about a guy named Thomas. And we talked about Thomas a little bit last week during our Easter message. And Thomas was one of the disciples who kind of missed the first appearance. He missed the, the first time that Jesus appeared to all the disciples, and so Thomas had not yet seen the resurrected Jesus. Now, um, the guys had told him about it, and we're gonna see that in John chapter 20 here in just a second. Um, the guys told him about it, but he wasn't believing. And he's known as Doubting Thomas. And I said last week, I think that's a that's the wrong name. That's the wrong um, understanding of who Thomas is. He's Truthful Thomas. He's Honest Thomas. He's the only one um, who's, being, who's being real, because if you and I... Um, had not seen Jesus, we would not have, we would have been the same boat that Thomas is. We wouldn't have believed. We we forget sometimes how unbelievable, how improbable, how absolutely impossible what Jesus did was. And because dead people stay dead, that's historically what dead people do. Once you die, you are buried and you remain there for the rest of time. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus was died and was buried and then three days later it rises again And if you weren't there to see it, you'd have a hard time believing that as well. And so let's look at the story in John chapter 20. It'll be up on your screen where you can follow along in your Bibles. It says, now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of those nails and place my hands into his side, I will never believe. And we would, I think a lot of us, if not all of us, would be in the same boat that Thomas is in. Your friends come and tell you, we've seen a dead guy who's now alive. We all know he was dead. We, we, John was there. He saw him died. We, we saw him buried, and then now he's alive, and he's resurrected, and he's interacting with us. We would all be in the same boat as Thomas. We're not going to believe it. We're not going to buy it. And Thomas is being honest. And it says, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Now he said that because the doors are locked, there's walls, and then Jesus stood in their midst. He stood among them and that would freak them out. That would scare them. There was a person who was there now who wasn't there a minute ago. And also it's a guy who was dead a few days ago and is now alive. That causes some anxiety. That causes some fear. That causes some surprise. And Jesus is like, bros, chill out. But it's a churchy phrase and so it says peace be with you then he said to thomas put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side do not disbelieve but believe Thomas answered him with the best answer ever, my Lord and my God, with an exclamation point. He was excited to recognize that that's who was standing in front of him was his Savior, his God, his Lord, and it was the resurrected Jesus. And so what I want to look at is Thomas is just like a lot of us. Thomas is doubting. The people are telling him about it. His friends are telling, God, like, Thomas, we saw him. I, th- I think Peter and John would have been like, Thomas, I promise, dude, we saw him. It's not a joke. It's not a ha-ha-ha. We got you. Look how silly you are. No, we saw him. We wouldn't joke about this. He was alive. I saw, you know, the nails in the, the side where it pierced him, and, and I hugged him, and I touched him, and I heard his voice. He's real. He's alive. I think a lot of us are like, Thomas, I don't, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. And I think if we're honest, most of us have doubts when it comes to certain things uh, when it comes to Christianity. I think a lot of us doubt prayer sometimes. A lot of us doubt if what God said is gonna come through. Uh, I was on a mission trip down in Guatemala with my former youth pastor. Many of you know him. His name's Jerry Bush. Uh, He's a pastor here in Missouri now. Um, And one of our students who was on the trip with us was just sharing her heart and just sharing her struggle with living in doubt and feeling like less of a Christian because she was doubting. And, And he said this really simple statement that has stuck with me since then. He said, he said, "There's young lady, there's only two kinds of Christians in the world. Those who doubt and those who lie and say they have no doubts. And I think he's absolutely right. I think all of us, we can be super assured of, of X, Y, and Z, but maybe A, B, and C over here, we got some serious doubts. But I love in this, in this story, you don't see Jesus rebuke Thomas. Not, yeah, Thomas, sorry. We don't see Jesus rebuking Thomas. We don't see him chastising him or making fun of him or belittling him because he had doubts. Notice he came and did exactly what Thomas asked. Do you notice Thomas said, if I don't see the holes in his hand and I can't put my finger in there and if I don't see where the sword, the, I mean the, the, the spear went into his side, if I don't see that, I'm not gonna believe, guys. It's too big. It's too much. And then what does Jesus do? He shows him the holes in his hands. He shows him the spot in his side and says, if this is what you need to believe, then do it. And if you're doubting this morning, if you, if you logged in and you're watching this morning and you're struggling with doubt and you're struggling with maybe big doubts about the whole thing of Christianity or maybe you're doubting some smaller elements of Christianity or maybe you're doubting God's faithfulness or God's goodness or whatever it may be, know that God is not chastising you that Jesus coming to you this morning is not rebuking you and putting you down and saying, oh, I wish, I wish you would get with it. I wish you would understand. Why does he keep doubting me? I'm always there. That's not what he's doing. He comes to you and says, peace be with you. Notice that first thing, peace, peace, calm. Take a breath. What is it that you need to believe that Jesus is exactly who he says he is? because that's what Jesus does. That's what Jesus does here is he meets Thomas exactly where Thomas needs him to meet him. And Thomas goes on to be a missionary to India. We don't know a ton about his life after uh, post, post-biblical, post-Bible, post-canon, um, what he did with the rest of his life, but we do know two things. One, he was a missionary in India, and that's where he would eventually die. He was martyred there. And the other thing we know is he spent his entire life telling people about Jesus. He saw the resurrected Jesus, he placed his faith in that Jesus and from then on he spent his entire life telling people who Jesus was. That he's resurrected, that he's real, that he's God in the flesh, that he defeated death, he defeated sin. And because of that, you can have life. And I bet he used that moment of of just complete and total doubt where Jesus came to him in the middle of his doubt. Notice this, notice this. He doesn't wait for Thomas to clean himself up. He doesn't wait for Thomas to figure it out or muscle through it. He comes to Thomas in the middle of his doubt and says, whatever you need to believe, that's what I'll do. And this morning, I believe God's gonna come to you in the middle of your doubt and meet you at the point of your greatest need. The second guy we're gonna look at this morning is a man named James. James is the younger brother of Jesus. I have to tell a story on myself where uh, I was less than, than thoroughly intelligent. I like to think of myself as a, a, a decently intelligent human being. Um, but there are times where it just appears that I speak before I think. And many of you who know me are now laughing because I do that a lot. But oh, I think we're in staff meeting and we're talking about James and I asked the question, was James the younger or the older brother of Jesus? Some of you are already laughing because you get my joke. Some of you who are like me would go, well, that's a really valid question until you start to remember that Jesus was born from a virgin and um, if James was his older brother, Mary would not then have been a virgin. So James was the younger Brother of Jesus. So um, take heart, all of you who are prone to stick your foot in your mouth and say things that are less than intelligent. So does your pastor. We'll all make it through. But could you imagine being the younger sibling of Jesus? What a terrible comparison game. No, Mary was probably great and probably didn't compare. And you know, you're the son of God, and you're you're not. Um, but there had to always be that thought for James. And we know, according to Scripture, I think it's John chapter seven. Um, forgive me if I'm wrong, but it, it says that the the brothers of Jesus didn't the brothers of Jesus did not believe he was the son of God for his life, while Jesus was alive. The, James didn't didn't ever believe that Jesus was who he said he was. But could you imagine if your sibling claimed to be Jesus, claimed to be sent from God and, and was going to be the Savior of the world and was going to do all these things and was going to die and be resurrected? You'd probably write him off as a fool too. And that's what James did. But Paul, in the letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, 7, um, Paul wants us to know that Jesus appeared specifically to his brother James. Now, this is the only recording of it in 1 Corinthians 15, 7. It says, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And I find it really interesting that Paul, um, it appears that he wants us to see that Jesus made a specific point to meet and to appear to James. James, in in my message today, he represents those of us who are too close to get it. And when I say too close, I, I mean there's a lot of ways to be too close to Jesus or too close to church to get it. Some of you who've grown up in church, um, you've you you have been basically born in the pew, Sunday school your entire life, did the Sunday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Thursday afternoon type church thing. Um, or maybe you grew up in a, a household where uh, your father was an elder or your grandfather was an elder and you've seen maybe the the background or the inner workings of church sometimes and and sometimes it's not pretty because when you get more than one person together to try and accomplish anything it can get messy and when you put a lot of people together with a lot of different ideas our flesh gets in the way our pride gets in the way our arrogance gets in the way and we can cause some tension and we can cause some hurt and we can um rub against each other and cause some scratches and I think sometimes if you've grown up in a a family that does ministry or or uh a family that has been in church leadership or been in church your whole life, you become too close to really get it. And I see that a lot with uh, working with students. There's a difference between those students who've grown up in church and those students who haven't. Those who've grown up in church, we start talking about a story um, that's, that's huge. Well, let's just take Easter last week. We talk about Easter and for those of us who've been around church long enough, now it's essentially just another story which is really sad because it's the it's the this, the centrality of our belief. Everything else uh, funnels around and swirls around the resurrection of Jesus. But if you've been doing this 18, 19, 30, 40, 50 years, the same story gets kind of bland. Even if it is the resurrection of someone, it can become kind of bland and we get too close to it. The other way that we can be too close to really understand it or, or too close and completely miss the point is maybe we grew up in a, a, a household where um, you went to church every single Sunday, but maybe mom or dad didn't live it Monday through Saturday. And I, I'm, I'm not picking on anyone, I'm gonna use myself. I'm gonna use myself for this example. I thoroughly believe that there are going to be times in my children's faith walk where I'm gonna be part of the reason they might struggle. Because there, are, there have been times in my walk with God where my, my anger has come out or my flesh has come out or my pride has come out or, or whatever has come out and I have not been the representation of Jesus that I'm supposed to be. I have not been the representation of God to my kids that I'm supposed to be. And when you're too close and you've got someone who says one thing but then lives another, that can be really, really hard. And that can be really hard to separate that from Jesus who is perfect all the time. He is perfect all the time, he is perfect all the time. People are gonna fail you over and over and over again because we're people and we usually kinda suck. But Jesus does not. Jesus is perfect and he comes to his brother James and he makes sure that James gets it. That even though he grew up with Jesus, saw Jesus in in every moment and, and it was too close to believe, it was too hard to believe, it wasn't until the resurrection when Jesus appears to him, risen from the dead, that James is like, oh my, oh my word, you, you are who you said you are. And then how humble was James to then call his brother Lord, to then call his brother Savior, then to believe that his brother was who he says he was. And for those of you who've grown up too close, or maybe have been too close for too long, know that Jesus is full of wonder and full of awe. And I pray that this morning he helps you find that again. The wonder that is the story that is Jesus, that is God, that is the New Testament, the Old Testament, the whole thing together that spans thousands of years and tells the story of one Jesus and you're part of that story. Because after James meets with the resurrected Jesus, he becomes one of the primary Christian leaders in the community of Jerusalem. Him and Peter, who we'll talk about next, and Paul, who we'll talk about at the end, they become this 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 three-legged uh, table that supports the church in Jerusalem. He worked right alongside Peter to build that church. And when Peter went off to Rome, um, uh, James ran the church, he continued to preach Jesus, he preached Jesus, he preached the resurrected Jesus, he preached hope in Jesus for his entire life until he was stoned in Jerusalem by the Jewish leaders because he was pushing too much. But if you notice, Thomas and James, both of them, after they met the resurrected Jesus and Jesus met them exactly where they were, we've got to catch that with each of these people met Jesus met them exactly where they were. He didn't ask them to clean it up. He didn't ask them to fix it. He didn't ask James to believe until James saw the resurrected Jesus. And then James believed and spent the rest of his life telling people who his brother was. Then we move on to Peter. Peter's one of my favorite characters in all of scripture because he just doesn't do it right very often. When he does it right, it's super right. He's the first one To know that Jesus was the Son of God, Um, great story, Jesus says to his disciples, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, and he makes that statement. But in in John chapter 13, and I'm not going to turn there for time purposes this morning, but if you're taking notes, there's all the verses and sections of verses I'm going to reference. In John 13, we see uh, Jesus meeting with his disciples and he he washes their feet and he has the last supper with them and institutes the Lord's Supper. And real quick, side rabbit trail, I want to go down. If you notice, Jesus washes the feet of the man who's about to betray him and has his last meal alive on this earth with the man who's about to betray him the man who would sell him out in Judas and and that would lead to his arrest and crucifixion and he chose to still serve him. He chose to still have his last meal with him and I think that speaks volumes to who we as believers should be. What we're called to be to even our enemies is to serve and to love and to feed and to associate with even those who are the worst of the worst. And back to John thirteen, and in John thirteen, um, after they've eaten the meal and Jesus washed his feet, um, Jesus predicts that Peter will deny even knowing Jesus three different times. And before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter says, "There's no way that's not going to happen." And then in John eighteen, after Jesus is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, um, Jesus—I mean—Peter is following along and trying to keep an eye on Jesus, and and three different times he's asked, "I." essentially asked, didn't you know Jesus? Weren't you one of his followers? And no, I didn't. No, I don't even know the man. And the third time, He curses, he sends curses down on a young lady and on himself, um, and then he runs away because he realizes that he'd done exactly what Jesus said he was gonna do, and then in John chapter 21, um, we see the culmination of this. Um, We looked at John 1 through 14 last week for Easter, but in 15 through 19, we see this really intimate, really sweet moment between Jesus and Peter. Uh, Peter had denied him, and uh, three different times, and there hadn't really been any discussion about it, and Jesus, remember we talked last week, found the guys fishing and gave them the 153 fish and made them breakfast on the beach, which is one of the multitude of reasons why I love Jesus is he makes breakfast for his friends on the beach. I'm totally down for that anytime. Um, and so in John chapter 21, um, Jesus Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? And Peter each time gets more emphatic and more expressive in the, yes, I love you. You know I love you. Of course I love you. And the three affirmations supersede the three denials and he's reconciled back to Jesus. He's restored to his place of leadership. But again, if you notice, Peter didn't have to go find Jesus. Peter didn't hunt down Jesus to repent to him, to say, oh my word, I'm so sorry. You were absolutely right. I'm a terrible person. How could I ever? Jesus finds Peter. Finds Peter exactly where he is and, and, and completely and totally forgives him. And this morning, maybe you're, like Peter and maybe in a really big way or maybe small ways, you've walked away. You've denied what you know to be true. you didn't have, you denied uh, what you maybe used to place your faith in. Let's start with the big picture. Maybe you grew up in church, grew up in church did the whole church thing, believed at a camp or in kindergarten or at a vacation Bible school, but today you don't know what you believe. You've walked away. Jesus wants you to know, that you can be made right again. Maybe you're a little like Thomas and and had those doubts. Maybe you're like James and you grew up in it and we were too close and then you saw the mess that it was and now you are Peter and have walked away. Jesus finds you. Jesus hunts you down. Jesus seeks you out and offers a way back and offers the, the love that you remember and rem- what I wanna tell you is that it's, it's not the works, it's not the doing the right thing all the right time and saying the right thing all the right time or having it all together at all the right time, it's essentially about do you love Jesus? And loving Jesus is easy. Living my life as if I love Jesus, that's a little bit harder, but loving him which is what Jesus asked Peter three times, that's what it's about. Or maybe this, this morning, you've, you've walked away in small ways. Maybe your prayers seem to hit the ceiling. Maybe you read the, the Bible and it's just words. Whatever it is, maybe you're struggling with, with feeling connected to Jesus. This morning, he finds you in that space. He finds you in that headspace, in that, in that way of thinking, in that season of your life. And he comes to you with a, a sweet embrace of, of breakfast and, and this calm, peaceful moment. Do you love me? Of course I love you, Jesus, but I, I just, I can't do this and I can't do that and I'm not good at this and I think he just holds up a hand and I didn't, I didn't ask any of those things. Do you love me? Yeah, I love you, but I can't seem to, I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't ask that. Do you love me? Of course I love you. You know I love you. And that was it. That was it. And that's what Jesus is asking you this morning. If you feel like you've walked away, do you love me? Yeah, of course I love you. It's just all this other stuff. Well, forget all that other stuff. Let's get back to the whole point we talked about last week. It's not about you. It's not about your struggles. It's not about your failures or your successes. It's about Jesus. Do you love him? The last person we're gonna talk about this morning, our last guy, Saul of Tarsus, if you've grown up in church or no church or, or the, the Bible, you know that Saul of Tarsus becomes Paul and eventually writes three quarters of what we know of the New Testament, um, was a missionary and did amazing, amazing work. Um, and so we're going to look at a few verses so we can see in context who he was. Um, in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, go ahead and turn there. We're going to be in Acts 8 and 9 here for just a minute. I'll give you the... Excuse me, I'll give you the background, the setup. Um, in Acts chapter 7, we see a, a man named Stephen who um, essentially was was appointed by the disciples, by the apostles, to uh, set up tables and chairs, take down tables and chairs, and serve lunch. That's what he essentially was called to do. Um, but it says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with power. And um, he gets in trouble, and he, he uh, gives this very long sermon to the Jewish people to the Jewish believers there and to the people who'd yet to believe in Jesus. And he, he essentially tells them that they missed it. They completely missed the boat. And and um, they, they arrest him, they get mad. Um, they eventually end up stoning Stephen. He's the first martyr for Christianity. And um, in Acts 8.1, it says that Saul approved of his execution. Saul was the leader of the Jewish elite, the Pharisees that were there. And he was just so opposed To Christianity. And in Acts 8:3, if you let your eyes scroll down there just a little bit, it says, But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. In the book of Acts, in the early part of Acts, we love to talk about Acts 2 and how the church was supporting each other and how the church loved each other and had everything in common. We rarely talk about Acts 8 and 9. Acts 8, where Paul, I mean Saul is ravaging the church going house to house, arresting people, torturing people, murdering people, because they believed in Jesus. He was constantly trying to get people to, to, not just people, but the whole movement. He was trying to stop it because it violated what he believed. He was in direct opposition of that. Now, in Acts 9, we see um, the beginning of a very famous story. We're just gonna read the first two verses. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, which I still think is what Christianity should be called because it's so much cooler, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So what we know as what's called the Damascus Road experience, because immediately after this, um, a bright light blinds, uh, Saul, he doesn't know who it is. It's Jesus himself, and he says, "Why are you persecuting me?" And um, Saul is left blind. Has to go and have a, a, a person of the way um, pray for him. So the what what are like scales fall off his eyes, and he's he had an interaction with the resurrected Jesus. And maybe this morning you're like Saul. Maybe this morning you are opposed to Christianity that you're tuning in because someone mentioned it and you've got nothing else better to do, so you thought, fine, I'll tune in. Maybe your whole life you have spent fighting against Christianity, you've been fighting going to church, you've been fighting the church thing, but somehow this morning you find yourself listening to this guy talking about these people and you kinda sorta relate, Jesus found Saul in the middle of his opposition. Again, I have to point this out and I think we have to understand this, Jesus was not sitting in a lawn chair waiting for Saul to figure it out. He said, this guy needs me. And so, boom, in a very powerful way, Jesus found Saul, blinded him, knocked him down. And he found him exactly in the middle of his hate and his opposition, and maybe, maybe Saul, maybe you have some very real reasons to dislike Christianity and dislike church and dislike church people. Hey, I've been in ministry almost 10 years. been a Christian, 19. I get it. Sometimes we're not the best of people. We are, I, I said a few weeks ago, we are terrible representations of Jesus. But this morning, I want you to understand, I want you to know and I want you to hear, Jesus found Saul In the middle of his opposition. And that's what he's doing for you this morning. You can keep running from it. You can turn me off at this point because it's it's too real. It's too much. But God keeps going. God keeps meeting you and meeting you and meeting you. And you'll never stop meeting you until you either die or believe. He's persistent. But I forgot to say, Peter was, um, when Peter got saved, uh, I'm sorry, not saved, when he got reconciled back to God in John chapter 21, after Jesus goes back up into heaven, Peter is the founder of the church in Jerusalem. He becomes a missionary to Rome, where he's eventually uh, uh, crucified upside down in Rome. Paul becomes Saul. I mean, sorry, Saul becomes Paul. Let's get that right. Saul becomes Paul. He writes three quarters of the New Testament. He helps find found churches. He's a church planner. He goes on three recorded missionary journeys, and if you look at the timeline of when certain letters were written, he probably went on four missionary journeys. He was the person who was probably more prominent than any other of getting the gospel of Jesus, of the resurrection of Jesus, to get to more people than anyone else in the beginning church after being completely opposed to Christianity to the point of trying to kill people. And this morning, whether you're Thomas, who's the doubter, James is too close, or Peter, you've walked away, or maybe you're in direct opposition like Saul, no matter where you find yourself this morning, I want you to notice a few things. One, Jesus met each of these men exactly in the middle of where they were. He didn't expect them to clean it up themselves. He didn't expect them to fix it. He didn't wait for a better time. He came to them in the middle of what they were dealing with, in the middle of what we would call sin, what we would call error and wrong. He was in the middle of it because Jesus loves meeting sinful people in the middle of their sin. He's not afraid of it. He's not scared of it. He loves to meet us there because that's when we need him most. And the other thing I want us to notice is after meeting the resurrected Jesus, each of these men spent the rest of their lives telling everyone they could about Jesus. Because guys, if we believed, and right now I'm talking to my believing believers, I'm talking to those who have said yes to Jesus, who have placed their hope and their faith and their life in Jesus' hands. If we've said yes to Jesus and we really believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and that He was crucified, died, and was resurrected. Our whole purpose in life is to tell as many people as possible about that, and that's what these four guys did for the rest of their entire life, was to tell people Jesus is alive. Jesus is the resurrection. He is the truth. He is the life. There's no way to go to the Father except through Him. That is who Jesus is, and these four guys spent their entire lives doing that, and if you've said yes to Jesus, that's your mandate. That's your call that's your purpose go therefore and make disciples of all nations that's what we are to do and we do that because Jesus came to us in the middle of our mess in the middle of our sin and said I love you I love you so much you don't even understand I have grace and mercy and forgiveness for you just say yes and we said yes and this morning if you've not said yes let this morning be that time because God loves you so much And he put me on this earth to come to this moment and this time to preach this message to you this morning so that you can say yes to the resurrected Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you did come that you put on flesh and bone and moved into our neighborhood and demonstrated love for us in a way that none of us could have ever underst- uh, ever done and we struggle to understand and we struggle to believe it's real because it's too big, it's too much, it's too powerful, it's too much love, but God, that's who you are. This morning, I pray for anyone who's doubting. God, meet them in the middle of their doubt. God, if people have been too close to church and to Christianity and to... to people like me who fail too much. God, help them to, f- to forgive us and forgive the church for where we've messed it up. And God, may they recognize that you are so good. God, for everyone who feels like they're Peter, that they've walked away, God, um, go after them. Uh, like in Luke 15, the, the they went after the lost coin and the lost sheep and the lost son. God, and you brought them all back. Bring them back with your grace and your kindness. And God, anyone who's in opposition of you, God, continue to love their hearts. Continue to love them. Let your kindness bring them to you. God, help us to be people who love those who are hurting and broken. Help us to be people, help HCC to be a, a church where everyone can feel welcome, whether they're doubting, or they've walked away, or they're in direct opposition. God, I pray that people can find a place to belong here at Harrisonville Community Church. God, we love you. Help us to love you better and love others better. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Guys, thank you again for tuning in. I uh, hope you were blessed. Hope this this message meant something to you. Uh, if if you this morning uh, felt a stirring in your heart or something connected with you in this message, um, please reach out to, to me uh, or the church office. Um, you can email the church office or you can text uh, myself. Uh, I would love to hear from you, uh, answer any questions you might have, pray with you, uh, pray for you. If you are interested in knowing what it means to believe in Jesus, what it means to be a Christian, uh, Please reach out and get a hold of me. I would love that conversation. Um, And I love each and every one of you. Thank you so much for tuning in. Have a great, great Sunday.